All right, good evening, everybody. I got all dressed up for the occasion here. They always make fun of me when I wear a t-shirt, so sorry. Um, it was hot today. I got hot, so I decided to wear something a little cooler for up here. Um, tonight, we're going to be in Exodus 16. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Exodus 16. <coughs> it's one of our uh, fun stories of uh, manna in the wilderness, but it's also... Uh, an interesting lesson for Moses as we watch this poor guy kind of figure out. Do you remember Moses' first attempt to uh, lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? What happened, you know, when the Egyptian was slugging the other guy, you know, and he comes in and Moses kills the Egyptian and later on finds two of the other Israelites fighting and they said, what are you going to do, kill us like he killed the Egyptian? Already facing a little pushback as far as what he felt his calling was going to be and how he had expectations, and uh, maybe after 40 years taking care of sheep, um, you'd think he'd learn that maybe life is uh, different than what your expectations are, but I think today, really, or tonight here in 16, really kind of drives it home. This is how it's going to be. That first encounter with the Israelites, that first encounter with his attempt to fulfill what he felt in his heart was his calling and his ministry He's going to realize this is this is ministry. It wasn't a bad timing thing, although it probably was. Uh, that's it. This is what it looks like. And so in chapter 16, we see the wonderful story of God's patience, his grace, his mercy for the children of Israel, even in their complaining. Um, we see Moses being molded and shaped into the leader he needs to be for the children of Israel. And we see the children of Israel hopefully somewhat learning what it's like to be people of the true and living God, um, a delivered people, a people with um, autonomy for the first time in their lives. After generations of slavery, they have this sovereignty over their own lives in a way um, they can obey or they don't have to, and that's a, that's a new thing for them. Um, they've always had the whip to tell them which way to go. They've always had something driving them towards obedience and now for the first time, they're going to have to choose obedience. They're going to have to choose their master. They're going to have to let that master be over them. And it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing for all of us. And uh, it's just something we all have to learn. So in verse 1, chapter 16, And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Completely irrational statement, obviously. God did not take them out of the nation of Egypt to kill them with hunger. They should know that, and you'd think they would know that, um, but they are hungry. There are people right now that are ruled by their flesh. They've been delivered. They've been through the water baptism. They've been through the Red Sea symbolically, but they're still ruled by their flesh, and they're, they're subject to their flesh. That's what it means. To be a subject of a king is, is the term we're using when we say subject to your flesh. You're submitted to it. 
When the flesh tells you to do something, that's exactly where your mind's going to be, and that's exactly where your heart's going to be. I'm submitted to my flesh. I'm subject to it. And they were. We're hungry. We would have rather have died not only you could almost understand at the whip of the Egyptians. That's not what they say. We would have rather died at the hand of the Lord. Do you know what that means? That means to be on the opposite side of God. I would rather die an unbeliever going to hell with full pots of meat and bread at my disposal than to, than to have to give up all of that. And they don't remember what all that included. Slavery, beatings, children being thrown into the Nile. Forget all that. We had full pots of meat. Is what they would, that's what they remember. And that's kind of what you do remember when you're hungry. When you're hungry, you think about, oh, man, remember that? I remember um, in the military, you'd have those moments where you've been out in the field for a while and you've been eating MREs for, I don't know, a week or two. By now, you're, well, you're ready for something different than something that came out of a plastic bag prepackaged in Texas, McAllen, Texas, uh, 10 years prior, you know? and still stable for some reason, still okay to eat. And uh, you start thinking about what your mom used to make, you know, chicken divan. Mm, I don't know if you ever had chicken divan, chicken divan, broccoli and cheese. and Oh, man, the whole thing. You start thinking about those things. And, and if you don't stop thinking about it, it just gets worse and worse. And you're almost thinking about, you know what? We could go AWOL. And we go get some food. I mean, uh <laughs> And that's what the nation of Israel wants to do. They want to go AWOL. They want to leave their calling. They want to leave their deliverance. They want to leave what God has brought them to, um, to what they came from. And it's a terrible thing to trade your freedom for some food um, or for some security. Uh, we like stability. I like things to be as they are. And if we can get things as they are, then let's just, whatever you got to do, let's just get things to where they, where they need to be, what I'm used to kind of thing. Never want to sacrifice your freedom for security. But they do. They want that. And they complain to Moses. And I think that's important. They're not necessarily complaining to God. I don't think they know how to do that yet. I don't think they know. I think they're blaming the, the administration the people in front of them leading them, it's like they're not considering that these folks, these ministers, are being led by God in a certain direction. They just, they don't like the direction. They don't like the provision. They don't like the way things are. They, other people are doing it better. We're looking at the Canaanites over there, and they're not having any problems. And we're looking at the Hivites over there, and all the ites. They're all doing fine. So they complain against Moses and they complain against Aaron, which you thought, I bet, they thought, Moses and Aaron probably thought, they're certainly going to be grateful a little longer than a couple weeks <laughs> for what we've been through together, for, for us hearing from the Lord, just a couple weeks, nope, it doesn't take but just a little bit of grumbling in the stomach and they're already wishing they were dead. And probably wishing Moses and Aaron were dead, which will come later on. It doesn't get any better. This never changes. There are moments where the children of Israel are grateful and, oh, 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 this is awesome. For the most part, for 40 years, they're going to look at Moses and Aaron and say, you got and There's just always this look, you know. Oh, yeah. I saw a funny cartoon where it showed the, 
a, a train of Israelites going through the wilderness, and it looked like this, and Moses is making a left turn, and Moses is making a right turn, and the guys behind him are saying, recalculating, recalculating, just mocking, you know, the whole thing. Remember when Moses last week put them, or two weeks ago, or no, it was last week, put them into that difficult spot between the rocks and the, and the sea. What have you done to us? I've led you exactly where God wanted us to go. What more do you expect from Aaron and Moses except to take you right where God wants you to be? Well, yeah, but this is a dumb spot. Well, then tell God. In fact, Moses is going to say that later on. Why are you complaining to me? You're acting like this is my idea. <laughs> go complain to God. We don't want to do that. Well, of course you don't. It's interesting. Psalm 103 gives us a little bit of a... Uh, uh, some insight into this moment. It says, uh, the psalmist in verse one says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your mouth is renewed like an eagle's. The Lord executes righteousness and justice on all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Now, I read that because that's how God responds to this complaint. Moses isn't exactly sure what he's supposed to do. The people are complaining and so he just turns and says, the people are complaining. I mean, this is Moses' entire 40 years. You're, oh, you want what? Oh, let me ask. Okay, you want me to tell him what? Okay, God says, his whole life. Simply telling the people, and you'll, you'll find that conversation changes between him and God throughout this relationship. He'll say, your people, and God will say, your people. And they'll go back and forth, because he's like, neither one of us really want to lead these people. It's, they're very difficult people. And they'll go back and forth like that. It's kind of fun to watch and listen to and watch Moses kind of learn and grow and realize and accept. I think that's the key. To get rid of the expectations, to accept the call in his life, and to just do it. To just do what God tells you to do. And it's a beautiful thing when you get to that place where you set down the expectations and you just let the calling be what it is, you know? And Moses does that. It's a beautiful thing. So they're complaining. We'd rather die. Um, so then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in. And it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. 
Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. For he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you to eat in the evening and in the morning bread to the full. And the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we that... uh, your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Just trying to deflect. It's, I, I don't know why you're blaming me. Well, you're the only one we can see right now. You're the only one that talks to us. You're the representative. You're the one. Okay, but God said he's going to provide for you guys food. It's going to be amazing, and it's going to fall, uh, and it's going to be a blessing, and, and for for five days, you're going to gather just enough for the day. We're going to get into more details here and explain all that. And on the sixth day, right before the day of rest, you're going to gather twice as much so that you have enough for the sixth day, but also enough for the seventh day. And that's the only time where the bread's not going to spoil. If you pick up too much on the first five days, too much to eat that day, it's going to spoil and go bad. So don't. Just grab enough that you, that you need for that day. But on the sixth day, I want you to grab twice as much, and that's the day where this stuff bypasses all those rotten laws for the first five days and doesn't rotten or doesn't rot on the seventh day. It's going to be a neat thing. And God says, I'm doing this so that I can test you. A little tiny thing. God starts off that way when our walk with Jesus. Can you just trust me in a little thing here? Let's see how you do with this little tiny thing that I give you. Can you trust me and see how you do? And that's how it is in everything that we learn, isn't it? I mean, it's nothing new. If you, if you do math, you don't start at calculus. Some of us never got to calculus, but you know, start there. You start with numbers. Let's figure out what the shapes mean. One means one apple. Two means two apples. You see? Oh, yeah. So three means three apples. You're getting it. And slowly but surely. And you make a lot of mistakes in those first formative years. And then you learn to add those things together. Then you learn to subtract. And obviously, you go on from there. And that's the same thing with our faith. Start off with little things, God says. Can you trust me in this? Yeah, I can trust you with that. Can you trust you with more? And he's going to try to continue to the point where I want you to walk around this gigantic walled city and trust me that I'm going to knock it down. But we have to start here. Can you guys just pick up one omer of bread or a half a bushel of the stuff I'm going to lay on the ground? Can you just do one half bushel, but no more? How much? You know, just one half bushel. Okay. Okay. I want to test you to see if you can do this. Now, This is not about the bread. It never is about the bread. And some reason or another, we think the trials and tribulations are something we just need to get behind us. That's not what the trials and tribulations are for in our lives. They're meant to teach us. They're meant to train us. They're meant to stretch us, grow us a little bit. Not to get through it. Not to get it behind it. Oh, oh, that's in the rearview mirror. No, no, no. Because if you didn't learn what you were supposed to learn, and it's in the rearview mirror, guess what's in front of you? Another teachable moment, because we cannot go on to chapter two of our lesson plan until we can finish chapter one appropriately, you know? Can we move on to the next spelling list, my kids say? I'm tired of these lists, not until you learn to spell these words, you know? Because these things build upon each other. Oh. 
In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus says, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We remember that as Jesus was tempted in the wilderness... That was one of the temptations that Satan puts in front of him to bow down to him, make this stone into a loaf of bread. And this is Jesus' response. I don't need bread. I need God's word. And he makes the connection for us there. Where did he get that from? Jesus is quoting scripture. It's out of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 through 3. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus uses the very scripture that God to, to, to put Satan in his place, to, and he brings back, this is a humbling moment for the nation of Israel. That Deuteronomy scripture is very telling of my walk with the Lord. Remember, what God tells us as Christians to do in the New Testament, he shows us what that looks like in the Old Testament. And so we just got a great commentary on our faith. I didn't cause you to be hungry just because I'm mean. I did it to teach you something. I did it to teach you to trust my word. And then I brought you a food that made no sense. In the desert, you're going to eat geckos or some kind of lizard or some stupid bird that landed a little too long. You know, that's what I'm going to feed you. Instead, I didn't bring a bunch of lizards. I didn't bring what was common for the area or the terrain or what you would normally expect to eat when you're in the desert. I didn't make you cut up cactus and drain the water out of them. I didn't make you do all those things. What I did is I did a whole new thing. I provided in such a miraculous way that no one could explain it. Your fathers never knew it, nor did anybody else ever see it again. It's the first time. I love to watch these commentators, these old school guys, try to explain this stuff away. We'll see what this was, was some kind of mold. Yeah. God fed them mold. What is so hard about reading Deuteronomy 8 and realizing... That God says, no, no matter what the commentators ever tell you this was, as they try to, <laughs> there was one that said, no, no, this is an insect that eats something and then eliminates this sugary substance and it comes out and dries into a hard little kind of clear ball. And, and uh, yeah, so God ate us, gave us, um, well, excrement from bugs to eat. Is this commentator? Why can't it just be manna? Why can't it just something beautiful, something amazing that only God did for this moment in time to sustain his people that they might trust him, that I can make anything from nothing? See, that's the word bara. The first word or the first phrase in Genesis is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created, the word created is bara, something from nothing. There was nothing, and then I made something, which nobody knows how to do. Nobody can replicate that. You can turn matter or energy into other things. You have to start with something to get something, not with God. I can make something from nothing, bara. And that's what he did. Let me read that Deuteronomy scripture to you again. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble and to test you. 
That's what God's trying to do for all of us in our walk with Jesus, is to humble and to test us. Just believe me. Trust me. You're going to need to trust me now because there's going to be harder things you're going to need to trust me for then. You know? So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know. You've never seen it before. Nor did your fathers know. They've never seen it before. That he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Please trust his word far more than you trust your refrigerator or your cupboards or whatever's in them. I can make something from nothing. I don't know how God's going to do it. He fed them manna for 40 years. And then Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. That's what unbelievers do. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The stuff that's material, the stuff that is physical in this world that we think and and strive for and spend most of our lives thinking about and, and reaching for, that stuff is extra. It gets dropped in our laps by God. It seems like we work for it, but that's just because we paddle so hard. God says, no, I just want you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all that other stuff that the Gentiles worry about, that the unbelievers worry about day in and day out. I'll I'll just give that to you. What I want you to spend your effort, heart, and mind, and everything in is righteousness in the kingdom. And I'll give you all that other stuff. That's a promise. Now, here's the thing. We just read that we live by God's word and not by bread, and we just received something from God's word, not from Calvary Chapel, Maryville, not from J.D. Dirks. We just read it straight from his mouth. Will we live by it? Will that be what sustains us? His word just promised us that all I have to do is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things that you normally worry about, the Gentiles worry about, will be added unto you. Wouldn't that be great to just test that out for a week? I'm just going to read my Bible. I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to look for opportunities to share Christ. I'm just going to do it and watch all the other things fall into place. Interesting. Well, that's not practical, and I don't know. Okay. Okay. When it says that all the congregation of Israel came before Moses and Aaron to complain against them. You know that some didn't. Well, all means all. I know. But you do know that Joshua's in that crowd. Remember Joshua? We're going to discover who Joshua is later on. Joshua is a, well, he's going to take over for Moses. Joshua is a guy who's just watching Moses and saying, I don't know what everybody's complaining about. We're okay. <laughs> We're not getting beat anymore. Isn't that what we wanted? And then he's got this other guy next to him named Caleb. Caleb's like, oh, he's a fighting old guy. And he's like, you know, he he looks, that's how I see Caleb, you know. We're going to see these guys later on as they spy out the land. But these two guys are in the crowd too. And there's a whole lot more like that too. There's a, there's a remnant in this crowd that are like, why, what are you, uh, I guess we're complaining today, Moses, but don't include us in this. See, that's who I want to be. As a Christian, that's who I want to be. Because there are still Joshua's and Caleb's in this world. 
in Christianity, walking with the Lord, and that's who I want to be. But there are also Korahs, and there are also all these people that do nothing but find reasons to complain. This isn't as perfect as it should be. We were just talking about that with Dale on the way in. I tasted the water. I grabbed my water, and I said, oh, it just tasted like I ate a plant of some kind, you know? And we all have that funny thing in the back of our wheel, you know, where that comes. And someone, and I think Toby said, yeah, and a fish mixed with it, you know, because it's coming from Mazingo and all that. And then I thought, yeah, that's what I need to complain about. The fact that I walked over to that clear glass, cold ice water and poured it into my disposable red solo cup. And forget those people in Africa that dig holes and get it out of a bucket and walk five miles that David just talked about a few weeks ago. My water tastes funny. First world problems, we say. First world problems. I don't want to be that guy, you know, complaining about my first world problems. I want to be like Joshua. I want to be like Caleb. I want to be the, the ones that are saying, I don't know what we're worried about. Look at how beautiful this is, you know, this walk. Moving on. So Moses spoke to Aaron, saying to all the congregation, Come near before the Lord, he's heard your complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke, the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud, or in the cloud. There he is. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I've heard the complaints of the children of Israel, and I'm going to kill them all now. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. Speak to them saying, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. He still knows that I'm introducing myself to these people. He's very patient with them. I told you my little episode with my feral cat that I caught by mistake during the beginning of COVID, you know, the big shutdown. Had a raccoon, you know the story. Caught a feral cat by mistake in my live trap, and oh boy, it was spitting mad. You know, you know, this whole thing. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you in a good way. So I went out and bought this $300 cage kennel thing, you know, and I set it up in my garage and, and did the whole thing. And it ran into my little kitty box that I bought from Orsland's for another $95. Or I mean, I, this kid had a, this cat had a, it was a penthouse, you know. And there it was, and there's the kitty litter, and there's this food and all that. And it just stayed in that hole looking at me. And you get close, and it'd watch you. But I knew why. Never been touched by a human before, never had experience before. These are things I need to do. I know that it's a waste of money, and it's a feral cat, and most people will be like, what are you doing? I'm like, I need to do this sometimes. It's for me, you know. And I just sat in the cage, sometimes for hours, just sitting there at night. You know, the kids go to bed. I'll just sit in that cage and just talk softly, quietly. Don't care what happens, just talking. Needs to get used to me, you know. And I'll reach over and get a gash. Okay, not yet, I guess, you know. And walk out, stupid cat. I love you, but you're a stupid cat, you know. Licking my wound, God doesn't do that, but I do. And now that cat will not leave me alone. Took a long time. Took a long time, but all of a sudden now that cat 
will not, it gets, it chooses to get stepped on by me. I'm just walking. It just goes right in between my legs. And no matter where I step, there it is. And I'll sit on the porch and it'll just jump up on the table and just mush this snotty nose into me. I'm like, and I'm not one of those people that lets the dog kiss him on the mouth. I just, no, I see what you do with that tongue. It's not touching my face. But this cat comes up and it just, and if I'd been gone for long, like I went and got Seth and brought him or helped him drive back and, and all, and, and, and I'll get down, I'll start to pet it. It runs up and it takes its paws and it puts them on my face. It gives me a hug. It's the weirdest cat. Okay, you can get the point now. That was for me and it was a wonderful moment, but what a great thing. This is God's doing. I could get mad. I could grab that cat by the back of the neck and say, you don't appreciate me. You don't understand what I'm trying to do. It doesn't understand. That's what he understands. The nation of Israel is fussing and complaining because they don't know. It's a beautiful moment here. Our God knows that we're but dust. I know where you're from. I know your frame. I'm not stupid. So speak to them. Don't yell at them. Let them know that the food's coming, that they might know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quails came up that evening and covered the camp. In the morning, the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? They did not know what it was. And of course, that name stuck. That means that's what manna is. What is it? I got to go get a half bushel of what is it? That's, you know, just, you know, it's stuck. It's stick. So that's what they went and get, this beautiful little food. What is this stuff? They'd never seen it before. So much for the commentators trying to explain it. Never seen it. Now, in Numbers chapter 11, verse 31, don't turn there. We're not going to read it. But it describes quail as a problem there. And I'm trying to still trying to put those all together and trying to figure out how that works because he's gonna, you're going to get quail, you're going to get meat till it comes out your nostrils kind of thing. So there was something going on there, but he doesn't describe that here. Okay, so I want to keep that for numbers, but it, just so you know, that is out there. This manna was a new food, something they'd never seen before. They couldn't, uh, they couldn't say it's a phenomenon that, that they'd seen in the past. They had to know that it was from God. God did something brand new with them so that there was no other way that anybody else could get credit for it. Okay? They do that. But here's what he told them to do. I want you to get up every morning, and it's going to be there for you, but it's not going to be there in the afternoon. God is developing in these people now that there's no longer a whip, now that there's no longer a taskmaster telling them to get to work, that if you want to eat, you have to get up in the morning, you have to go get it. And if you miss that opportunity, you don't get it. Because as soon as the sun comes up, that stuff disappears. Okay? God is not stupid. Yes, I'm going to provide it for you. Yes, I'm going to present it. But you're going to have to get out of bed. You're going to have to go get it. You're going to go have to pick it up. He's developing a work ethic for them. Get up and go to work. Those that didn't get up to go to work didn't eat. And so there's a work ethic that God is working out. So, uh, where am I? <laughs> and Moses said to them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer, it's a half bushel, for each person according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those 
who were in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered, some more, some less. When they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it until morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need. When the sun became hot, it melted. Interesting. And everybody wants to know what this is. It just is what it is. It's manna. It's not anything you've ever seen before. Every man has to participate. Every man has to get out and work. I want everybody involved in this. It's a personal thing. Our walk with Jesus is very personal. I think when Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, I think he meant it many ways. Not only to point them to this moment in time when their people were being led by the Lord in the wilderness, but also to remind us that God's word needs to be fresh in our lives and we need to gather it every single day. This is the manna. This is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life, the word become flesh. You can see how it all connects together. This manna means a whole lot more than some frosty substance on the ground that gets gathered up and melts away and provides for them physically. Spiritually speaking, we all need the word of God. We need Jesus. And we need him every single day. We need to have a relationship with him and spend time with him and talk with him. We need to read his word. He says he's word, magnified his word above his name. It's that important to God that we read his word and that we accept his word. And that's something we need. And I don't think we have enough to sustain us for the week. I don't think Wednesdays and Sundays are enough for us. Shouldn't be. And anybody that's trying to survive spiritually off a Wednesday feeding and a Sunday feeding, well, you're going to starve to death. Try eating that way. Try eating that way for a month physically. Only eat on Wednesdays and only eat on Thursdays for one and a half hours and see how you do. Well, I don't think I could make it. Well, of course you can't. Of course you can't. Neither can we spiritually. We need to eat God's word daily, daily. Take that sustenance in and let it feed our souls. Whatever you feed the most is what's going to be the strongest in your life. If I feed my flesh the most, guess what's going to be the strongest? It's the flesh. If I feed my spirit the most, guess which is going to be the strongest? But if I weaken my flesh and not feed it like I'm supposed to, and I strength, or weaken my spirit and not feed it like I'm supposed to, and strengthen my flesh and feed it with everything I can possibly get into my brain's that's why I fail every day when I can't walk the way I want to walk with Jesus because it's a spiritual walk. But if I flip the table on that, if I turn that around, if I make that ratio different and I don't feed my flesh as much as it asks me to, which is constantly, and I feed my spirit far more than I feed my flesh, you win. You're an overcomer. Your spirit is strong. Your flesh is weak. You want to kill your flesh? Starve it to death. You want to kill your spirit? Starve it to death. There's no way around it. It's a law. Feed the flesh, it's stronger. Everybody participates. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 15. It's a long cross-reference. But we commend, command you, brethren, 
Paul is commanding the Thessalonians. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. Pull back from them. Don't fellowship with them. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you. Now he's going to explain this disorderly and how it applies here to every man getting up and gathering his own manna. Okay? That's the connection. We were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commended, commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you who in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Nothing better to do but be busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. That's some old school church there, isn't it? That's Christianity. That is, that is first century Christianity right there. How far away are we from that? Well, they're just a poor, oh, they just need some, they just need some help. Are they able-bodied? Well, yeah, but they they struggle with this or they struggle with that. Get up. Go to work. Get your own bread. And if they won't obey this epistle, you're to withdraw from them and cause them to have to get up and go do those things. That they might be ashamed as a brother or sister in the Lord, you ought not be doing that. I just couldn't get out of bed today. Well, learn to get out of bed. Life's hard. Get up. That's a hard thing. I know. I know. Paul commanded them. Imagine that. What would happen if I did that here? You can't do that. You're not Paul. I'm the pastor. What if I did? Well, I'd leave. I don't. I let the Lord, hopefully by his word, convict, encourage, and because it's much easier to hear it from Jesus than it is to hear it from a person. I know that. I've been there. And yet here it is in black and white in God's word. And we just said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we know that Peter himself said that Paul's writings are scripture, which means they're God's word. And so this is Thessalonians, not something that we can throw out. It's a part of God's word. And he just told us what to do. Will we do it? That's a choice. Just like the people have a choice to get up and get the man or to not get the manda. Notwithstanding, it says. It's almost like he says, of course they didn't obey. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses. But some of them left part of it until morning. And it bred worms and stank. And Moses got angry with them. It's kind of part of ministry. What are you doing? Didn't we just tell you not to keep that stuff around till the next day? Yeah, but we tried to keep it around till the next day. It's like, I thought that Tupperware would work a little better than it did. Nope. God's word will be true and every man a liar. It got hot and it melted. 
James chapter 4, verse 17 says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. It's not an option. When God tells us to do something in his word and we know what we're supposed to do and we choose not to do it, it's no longer a sin of ignorance or a, just, oh, I didn't know. It's sin. It's sin. We need to get up and work. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers, so a full bushel for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest. This is before the Ten Commandments. This is before the law. This is a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. In other words, we're going to take a break, a day off in honor of God. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, eat that today, for today is the sa- a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it. and On the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. There's not going to even be any to go pick up the next day. But guess what the next verse says. Can you guess? Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. They were the hustlers. We're going to hustle, man. While everybody's asleep, we're going to gather a little bit more. We're going to take that early bird gets the worm. We're going to get ahead of everybody else. We're going to get that jump. And people run their businesses that way. It's Sunday. That's how, that's how, you know, did you know that wasn't more than what, 50, 60 years ago, businesses weren't open on Sundays? And some guy, some Gentile unbeliever got the idea, you know what, well, all these Christians are sitting home taking naps and not mowing their lawns. I'm going to open up my store. Everybody needs bread and milk, even on Sunday. Hey, Bob's open. I forgot to get bread and milk last Saturday or yesterday, so I could go get some. So they show up, and he's raking in the money, he thinks. The Bible says that those kind of moments, your bag that you have full of money is full of holes. It just drains out. You're dragging that money back home. Look what I did on Sunday. I got a whole bunch more than anybody else. I got that overtime. Woohoo! Where'd it go? Where'd it go? My brakes went out. I need new tires. Something, something comes up and just eats all that away. I thought I was going to get ahead. Nope. I told you, I want you to take a day off, hustler. Hustle six days out of the week. Work. Absolutely. Work, work, work. We're designed for that. We need tasks. But on Sunday, and I'm, I'm not one of those. Don't, don't get me wrong. I don't know what your Sunday is. Some of you work on Sunday. Take a Saturday off. Take a Monday off. Take a day off, though. You need it. As, in, in honor of God, take that break. So I can lay on the couch and take a nap and no one can make me feel guilty. Absolutely. All of y'all. But nonetheless, they tried, didn't they? They tried. Uh, Is this where I want to be? I'm sorry. I've got three minutes. We'll get done, I promise. Yeah, let me finish that, and then verse 30 is where we take our break. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. Of course not. And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See? For the Lord has given you the Sabbath. 
Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Had to, had to beat, <laughs> beat him to take a nap. I just love how he words it. How long is it going to? Look at you people. I told you I'd give you enough twice as much the day before so that you don't have to work on the seventh day. But there you are trying to work on the seventh day. Stop it. I'm giving you the Sabbath. Understand it's a blessing. I'm giving you time off. I'm giving you a time to sit down and do nothing. Your body needs to recuperate. You need to just get your mind off of that and live life, you know? Enjoy it and enjoy the Lord. So the people rest on the seventh day. Fine, we'll rest. (laughs) Matthew chapter 6, verses 8 through 12. I blew the prayer at an earlier teaching. Today I'm going to read it so that I don't blow it. But Jesus describes to them and gives them a a pattern for prayer. Now, remember, this is a pattern for prayer, not the prayer itself that we're supposed to pray every single day, although we do. We teach it to our kids. But it's a pattern to follow. It doesn't have to go like this, but he does. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. So pray like this, not pray this. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven. Holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. When I was a kid, I used to say forever and ever, amen. Just a little emphasis on that. Mm, Always, you know. Give us this day our daily bread. That's what we're supposed to ask for. Give us this day the lottery. Give us this day everything, you know. Give us this day more, you know. No, give us this day our daily bread. He wants me to pray that. And and that's for me, not for him. Remember how this started? Do not be like them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. The prayer is for me to get lined up with him. I want to remind myself that our Father is in heaven. I need to remind myself that his name is holy. I need to remind myself that his kingdom is coming and that I want his will to be done here on earth like it's done in heaven. That's what I want. Whether I remember that or not is up to me. So I pray this prayer to remind me of these things. I want to remind myself that I only want today's bread. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow's bread. Today I'm going to forgive everybody in front of me because I want to be forgiven by God. Today, I want to remind myself not to be led into temptation. In other words, he never does that. That's me walking into it. But to deliver us from the evil one, which he has done, and to remind myself that his kingdom and power and glory are forever. That will never, ever change. Forever and ever. Amen. The children of Israel are learning that. We're learning that as Christians, as we walk with Jesus, to do these things, to live this way, to change our entire mindset, to not be like the Gentiles and to think like they do. As unbelievers, the world's in a lot of turmoil right now. It's in a lot of turmoil because it's man trying to fix man. And we can't. We have never been good at being our own physicians, ever. It's a spiritual thing. It's a heart thing. It's got to be done by Jesus. There is no other way except through Jesus. Verse 31, And the house of Israel called its name manna. And it was like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. But they could boil it, they could bake it, do all sorts of stuff. 
Then Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it to keep it for your generations, that they may see the bread with which, you fed, which with I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a pot and put an omer of manna in it and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel ate manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer was one-tenth of an ephah, or half a bushel. So that is a pot. It's the first thing they put into the Ark of the Covenant. Now that happens later on. We're not there yet. They're going to build a little ark little box, and they're going to put the mercy seat on top of it, and it's carried, and you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's that thing. And inside of it, they're going to, it's the first thing that goes in is this pot to remind you that I am your bread, your provider. And we'll see the two other things that God puts in there later on. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your word. It sustains us. It makes us stronger. It brings peace. It brings clarity. It helps us to understand who we are when we understand who you are. We thank you for that, God. Tonight, I pray that you bless everyone as they go tonight. Keep them. Keep your word planted in our hearts. Pray that it bear much fruit for the rest of the world. Help us to share this with those around us, to be looking for those opportunities, to seek first this week, all this week, your kingdom and your righteousness and trust everything else to you, God. We look forward to that and to see what you'll do. Help us to have our eyes wide open spiritually to see the moments that you lay and put right before us for us to share Jesus, to share you and your salvation with those who need it so desperately today. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good night, guys. If you need prayer before you go, love to pray with you.